Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. everyone and welcome back to the Fides Club, this wonderful show where we get people from different parts of the world and we talk, we listen, we get to hear what they think and uh, not judge overly harshly. Sometimes we judge a little bit, but we uh, try to keep as much of that judgment uh, to ourselves as possible because there are a lot of places where you get to get angry at people for having different opinions. Here, we just listen. Although, in this episode, there, there might be some arguing. Uh, friendly banter, mostly, I hope. My name is Patrick Beja, and this show is made possible by the people who support it at patreon.com slash Club. The link is in the show notes. The people who support the show are, are wonderful, and they are the ones who are making it possible for us to uh, take part in this experiment of what would happen if we j didn't just always yell at each other all the time and always get angry about everything uh, and, and give it a try. See what happens when we listen to people who have a different opinion. So I'm very happy to be welcoming to the show two people who are veterans of the Phileas Club. They wear top hats and have monocles and, and all of that. Uh, my fellow... European, as I'm currently uh, quarantined in Helsinki because I just traveled, so he's not quarantined, but he's also in Europe. Uh, German resident Matthias Keller. How's it going, Matthias? Hello, everyone. I feel refreshed and sufficiently cooled down after the heat wave we had last week, and thankfully it disappeared. So now we are facing the first storm of the season, and it's like a little, little bit windy outside and cooling down, much more manageable temperatures. So you're really happy that uh, the big storm is coming, essentially? Not because of the storm, but because of the lower temperatures. But right, right. Yeah. degrees are just too much for me to handle on a long term. I, I have to admit that heat wave, we even reached, for those who speak in, in normal degrees, uh, we reached like 26 in Finland uh, degrees Celsius, which is crazy, unheard of. It's like slightly warm. Um, so <laughs> it was, it was definitely enjoyable here. Not so much in, in France and Central Europe where it was 40 ish almost. Which is yeah. The highest number recorded here was 38 and that was a new uh, record. Hmm. Oh, that's not too bad though. We can hear when you mute and unmute yourself or when you unmute yourself. Um, so I don't know if you can, uh, avoid doing that. Although it makes a little bit of flavor for the show. Um, the other person joining me on the show is the other veteran, uh, Tony Staley from the American United States. Uh, how's it going, Tony? 
going well. I'm sorry about the mute sound there. I know that uh, I heard it as well. So I know you heard it when I did it. And I'm going to assume that since I am always so uh, go along with the crowd and never have any controversial opinions that the argumentative banner you were talking about was directed at Matthias. So Matthias, you probably (laughs) ought to be on best behavior today so that we can keep things calm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, um, well, I've had a few arguments with with Matthias. Um, We've also had our share of discussions with you, Tony, because um, you are one of the people who represent, there are a few, but who represent um, the American conservatives on the show. And we're always glad for you uh, to be on, to be, uh, uh, you know, providing that perspective in a maybe more reasonable manner than what is portrayed on the media. Um, And I think that this episode is going to be one of the few where I, I kind of direct questions with my pointy finger at you just a little bit, you know, again, in a friendly manner. But uh, maybe we can start with that, because obviously there's a lot of discussions about uh, the pandemic and and the return of the pandemic. Uh, And I'm guessing this is going to be our main conversation on the show today. We might talk about a couple of other things, but I'm guessing this is going to be our our main conversation. Um, It's returning as was expected towards the end of summer, beginning of, of fall, um, it's returning and many countries are experiencing a, an uptick in number of cases. France is uh, especially badly hit with no- new number of cases that are comparable to what was happening towards the um, middle of the lockdown. And that is obviously a concern. But last time we spoke, uh, Tony, we had a, 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 a... We sort of noticed that if you bring the number of cases down to a per million uh, number in the U.S., things weren't weren't that bad. Um, And no matter how much we can criticize uh, the Trump administration for this or that, it was back in April, I think, April or May, um, the, the reality of the numbers was that uh, the things weren't going uh, worse and actually in the middle of the pack uh, compared to other Western countries. And I was firmly advocating for the fact that when you look at reality and the numbers, of course, you always need to qualify the numbers. There's not every country is in the same situation. You have different um, population distribution and stages in the contagion when people realized that they needed to do something about it, a lot of things. But still, on average, uh, and people sort of got angry at me, people on the left side of things usually got angry at me for um, getting to that conclusion uh, that things weren't horrible in the US, even though locally it might have been worse than in other places. Over the summer, however, um, things changed in a uh, very criticizable way. The numbers never went down. The number of new cases never went down in the US. And towards the middle of the, of the uh, summer, cases went up dramatically, dramatically. Like, of course, you can argue that there is more testing, but there's more testing in every country. 
and in the US, since it never went down, the uptake was tremendous. And you're getting, you were getting, it's gone a little bit uh, uh, better now compared to what it was towards the middle of the summer. But you were getting over 100,000 new cases per day, which is really concerning. And in every other country, every other Western country, but arguably every other country in the world, the number of new cases went down dramatically towards the early summer and middle of summer. And so my um, argument was that it is difficult to interpret, to interpret this as anything other than a failure of the government to contain the spread of the virus. And I say of the government understanding that there are many states, but the uh, federal response and guidance is obviously important. Um, and, and the responsibility, I think, lies with the federal government. The ultimate responsibility lies with the federal government. So I was very frustrated and angry towards the middle of summer, and I talked about it to the patrons of the, the show in an editorial that was <laughs> extremely long. But uh, to me, in the same way that we had to conclude that towards the middle of spring, things weren't as bad as some people were saying it was, if you look at the numbers and the facts, you have to conclude that things were extremely mismanaged. And when I say mismanaged, it's hard to look at things in isolation and decide how they were. But if you, in the same way as we did in spring, if you look at the way other countries had managed things and compare the U.S.'s response and numbers to those other countries, on average and per million inhabitants, it's difficult to come to another conclusion than there was severe mismanagement and, uh, you know, many, many deaths were caused by this mismanagement. So the reason I'm interested in uh, getting your opinion, Tony, on this specifically is not just, you know, as I was joking earlier, to point fingers, but as a conservative, someone who, uh, you know, is uh, uh, understands the mood and the, the way things are interpreted in uh, that camp, I wonder how you're seeing that sequence of events and how it went between our discussion a few months ago and us meeting us now so over the summer those changes in numbers so uh, yeah what, what do you think of all of this well to start i would say that i'm not like a lot of other people that i am acquainted with i don't feel that this is a it should be a conservative versus um liberal or progressive uh issue i think that everyone should be able to look at this separate from what their politics are and make their decisions i i wear a mask when i go out i'm not one of these anti-maskers <laughs> that mm -hmm. refuse to wear a mask because by golly our constitution says that we don't have to wear a mask that's false the constitution doesn't say anything about masks there's no right <laughs> to go unmasked in the constitution mm -hmm. um but uh, having said that, as a, as a little bit of a disclaimer, I I guess I would question what was the goal of what we were doing. Well, let let me back up a second. First of all, I do believe that the states 
should be pulling the weight of this because each state is different there. And as we talked about in our previous episode, a state like Ohio has different issues and needs and solutions to this problem than a state like New York. And that's not even the best example. The best example would probably be something like a state like South Dakota has different issues because Ohio is kind of the middle. Uh, we're, we're, we have our large cities, but we also have our rural areas. We're kind of a, a we consider ourselves to be a snapshot of the entire country, mm. uh, to be honest. We, we're not completely, no, no one's completely urban, but we're not predominantly urban and we're not predominantly rural. We're, we're both. Um, so we kind of see ourselves as a little version of the entire country. But a state like South Dakota, for instance, is nothing like California or New York. Um, it, and they are going to have different solutions, different problems, different issues than, than the other states. And that's, so that's why I think that the, any, any blame. Now I agree with you could have been handled better from the top. Now, if you're talking about equipment, liberal governors have prayed. Now they won't say it now, but there's video of them praising the Trump administration for the equipment that he supplied to them. They, they said he did a good job. Um, so equipment has been handled. Masks have been handled. Testing is being handled. I don't know that it's where it needs to be yet, but it's it's getting there. Um, if I need a test, I can get one. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that are going to say, if I need a test, I can't get one. And that's true, probably. But um, I think tests are where they are at least creeping towards where they should be. Rhetoric is awful, but you know me and rhetoric of the Trump administration. I don't like it. I don't want to hear it. I want him to shut up. Um, and guidelines. Now, the CDC did have guidelines. So uh, if you consider the CDC a federal organization, then there were guidelines. And I know this because uh, my wife is on the local school board and they uh, went through she went through the CDC guidelines with a fine tooth comb to see how we could uh, restart school and follow the guidelines, which we're doing. We are restarting in a blended uh, method two days a week on three days off. And uh, half the kids are going two days, half the kids are going another two days, and then the, all of them are off the fifth day. Um, so we are restarting and we're following those guidelines. So there were guidelines out there. Now, the administration not either following those guidelines, by the way, that uh, Trump went around without masks and said bad the, things about masks. Yeah, I that's I didn't like. I, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> no, but I, it, like I think that. it. I'll, I'll get to it later, but I think there's a, a, a something there that is key to the question of the government, the way the government has handled the crisis. But please finish. I'll, I'll <laughs> I've spoken. Yeah, about it. yeah. So, so that that's where it has failed. Um, the federal government. Now, state governments have failed as well. Some state governments have done a good job. I personally think that the governor of Ohio has done a fairly decent job of containing. However, I also think that he's gone overboard in some respects. Um, don't want to get into the local uh, politics of the situation, but um, there are some things that I think he's gone overboard on. 
But the the question I had originally was, what was the goal? Because when it came and we saw uh, Italy and Spain, I believe, with overwhelmed healthcare systems, the the motto was flatten the curve mm-hmm. so that we don't overwhelm our healthcare systems. Well, we did that. The 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 curve was flattened. It didn't go away, but it was flattened, and our healthcare systems weren't overwhelmed, and they and they haven't been. Uh, so. At the beginning, it was, of course, that's what we're going for, and, and we did. So I consider so I, that a success. Now, now the goalpost go- has moved. I'm hearing myself as an echo. Are you guys yeah, hearing I me think, twice? I, don't I think uh, Matthias is is echoing uh, on us, but it's not too bad. Continue. Okay. Um, maybe maybe you can mute yourself, moved. Matthias, and we can handle the, the sound of you muting and unmuting yourself. It's not a problem. Right now, try that. Okay. Go ahead, Tony. But the goalposts have shifted, uh, to use the sports metaphor. Um, now it's not flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. It's eradicate the virus so no one gets it. And I don't I think, think that's, that's impossible. No, I don't think uh, that's fair. I don't think that's fair to maybe that's the, the rhetoric you're hearing, but as the you know, reasonable person, I don't think that's the predominant rhetoric. Unless maybe it, it is for the, you, but yeah. Well, it's the rhetoric that we're hearing from the the people that don't like Trump, and, and that's half the country. <laughs> okay, so, let's leave let's leave those aside for a second, and look at again the numbers and the the objective nature of things. First of all, let me correct something. Um, it wasn't over a hundred thousand new cases per day. It reached like sixty thousand, seventy thousand uh, per day in in peaks. Um, which is about double of what it was throughout the spring. And now it's gone, quote-unquote, back down to peaks at 40, 45,000, 35,000, something like that per day, new cases in the U.S. still. At, during spring, when the sky was falling, the maximum was about 25,000 cases per, per week. And the flattening of the curve you're talking about, you're right, you did flatten the curve in the U.S., but the point wasn't to keep the curve flat high. The point is to keep the curve flat so it doesn't rise more and then bring it down. What happened for you in the U.S. is that you brought it to a standstill at that high level of 20, 25,000. And then at the beginning of summer, it went up. It doubled throughout the summer. So... I think arguing that the curve was flattened is not really uh, accurate. Now, the not um, the not overwhelming the healthcare system, I believe, you know, that was achieved uh, probably in the U.S. as well. However, if you're talking about the goalpost and the and the um, the the ideal outcome of all of this, regardless of you know, let's say states or uh, federal governments, regardless of what they do, um, the goal would be to minimize the number of deaths, right? And if you have new cases, even if you don't, like initially you're in panic mode, you're like, okay, let's flatten the curve. Let's do it as flat as possible so the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. All right. After a few months, the goal is to minimize the number of new cases so that you minimize the number of deaths. Even if the number of deaths per, you know, 
the ratio of death per new case is low, if you have twice as many new cases, or even if you keep having dozens of thousands of new cases per day, you're still going to have a lot of deaths. And in that respect, the, the main number we were looking at back in uh, the spring was the number of deaths per million, which is not a perfect number, but I think the best number we have to assess the way a country is responding to the crisis. And what we were seeing back then was that the U.S. was in the middle of the pack, doing better than many other European countries, including France, where things weren't great. Um, now, the French number has increased a little bit, but the U.S., which was about half of that number for number of deaths per million, is above France. That number for the U.S. has about doubled. It's... it's I don't, you know, and the 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 um, Trump administration's response, as you're saying, he's not showing up with masks. The big issue that I'm seeing there, and the reason why I think he is to blame and his administration is to blame, regardless of whatever the states have done, is that we do have anti-mask people in France as well. I think they're everywhere. You know, you have crazies everywhere. The difference in the U.S. is that. He, whether with stuff he said or he implied, has emboldened them. And showing up with a mask once and saying, oh, some people say masks help, is not the appropriate response. And when you embolden the, the crazies, you make this into a political issue. You're saying, oh, it's about the Constitution. You're saying what you need in those times of crises is a leader that shows a unified Front that doesn't politicize the issue. The politicizing of the issue is his doing. It's his fault. And that is, to me, the great failure of the response of the U.S., regardless of whether or not you like Trump. The great failure of the response of the U.S. is that he didn't show a path to unify the country. He did the opposite. He politicized the issue. He made it into us versus them, which is making health uh, uh, how do you call it, like health measures, like preventative measures that everyone can do into political issues. That is criminal. It's, it's literally helping the spread of the virus and causing more cases, which is causing more deaths, which is making the U.S. having a, a number of deaths per million that is twice what it was six months ago, almost twice. And in that sense, do, do you understand what I mean, Tony? Like, it's in that sense that I think he has failed his country, and he is the reason, to an extent, I'm sure, you know, states also have responsibilities, but even state governors, if Trump was saying, now everyone should be wearing masks, because he could say it the dumb way he always says stuff, we should all be wearing masks because the Chinese virus is evil, you know? I, it would have been much more difficult for the Republican uh, uh, state representatives to do other things and, and or to, to say otherwise and to continue that folly of a discourse that you should, uh, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing what you need to do to contain the virus. And again, when you look at other countries, the number of cases today still, as we're seeing the up uptick in uh, some European countries, it is tremendously higher in the U.S., even if you take into account the increased po the, the higher population than it is in other countries. So, do you, uh, is it 
does am I making sense to you, Tony? Because to me, it seems so obvious that I'm, I don't know, maybe getting a little bit uh, 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 over excited. Yeah, I would hesitate to say it's criminal or it's treason or something like that. Um, I could get on board with it's dumb, it's irresponsible, but I would hesitate to say something like it's criminal. Uh, Why though? I mean, obviously, I'm I'm exaggerating for emphasis, and I'm sure you're immersed into a climate where criminal is not just for effect. It's like, oh, he should be <laughs> put to trial or something like that. But okay, would you agree that he has failed the country in leading it through the crisis? I would agree that he's failed by leading through example. Yes. That's a different thing, though. He hasn't... I mean, okay, his, so... He ha I think his policies, his his providing of equipment, things like that have been good. I think his okay. example that he has set has been bad. Okay. Okay. I mean, and hey, I'm a, as a... As a uh, a Republican, you're getting half from me. You got to give me something, Patrick. Come on. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I agree. But, you know, to me, this is kind of the nightmare scenario where I, I don't know if you remember if you if if uh, uh, I have this in my head the correct way, but I was very afraid of what would happen with Trump because I thought he wasn't an adequate leader for your country, which is the most powerful country in the world. And through the first three years of his presidency, There hasn't been any crises big enough for him to stumble upon, really. And I thought he was like, okay, you know what? He's not the best, but he hasn't done too much damage. It's, yeah, he's dumb and he says dumb things and, and it's not been great. But overall, kind of whatever. And this is a big crisis that it, it seems to me pretty clear that he has failed at... at uh, leading through because of that politicizing of the it's it's the politicizing of the issue that is my main problem because it leads to some people not to those crazies being emboldened and, and not just the crazies the 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 you know just the people who don't want to respect the the, the safety measures but um it, to me that's clear from what we're seeing from this crisis i'm not saying Trump is horrible because I thought he was horrible from the get-go. I didn't like him. But here there's cl a clear, uh, uh, not proof, but clear evidence, I guess, that he, he, he doesn't, his, his dumbness or his, not dumbness in the sense that he's an idiot, but the way he speaks, the way he says things, the lack of decisiveness, is leading to people not doing what they should be doing. No? I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I do what I'm supposed to do, you know, and I'm one person. Um, I, I said in a previous episode, or maybe it was not a previous episode, maybe it was on the Slack when you actually when you had the Slack, mm. that I don't know people who look to Trump and say, Trump's not wearing a mask, so I'm not wearing a mask. Now, I do know people that don't wear masks, but I, I've talked to them. It's not because of Trump. It's because they don't want to wear a mask. I don't like it. Um, I think they're full of it when they say that it's I can't breathe and things like that. And they have issues that make it so they can't wear the mask. I think they just don't want to wear a mask. 
but I don't know anybody that, and I've asked around, you know, in preparation for these kind of things, mm. I don't know anybody that has looked at Trump and said, he's not wearing a mask or he doesn't say I have to wear a mask. So I'm not wearing a mask that that's not a thing that I've experienced. And keep in mind, I'm in pretty thoroughly Trump country. You right. know? So, <laughs> I mean, but I, I'm not saying I will not say that it doesn't exist because I'm certain that you can go out there and find examples. I'm just saying in my real world that I live in, that's right. not a thing. But you don't um, think that if, if he was more direct and adamant that people should wear masks, there would be more of those people who don't want to who would, who would do it? I do. I think there are more people that would do it that don't want to. Uh, mm, let, me, let me rephrase that because, no, I, if someone doesn't want to, I don't think even with Trump doing it, they would do it. Um, these people are stubborn. I I think if there are people that are kind of sitting on the fence, they would, it, it could skew them towards doing it. But right, the ones yeah. that don't want to are not going to do it. Right. Yeah. I guess, no, I guess no matter what he does. As um, I mentioned, there, there are some of those in, even in Europe who are, were pretty clear about yeah. the importance of that. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know enough about, this disease and and what the goals are at, to to really feel like i i don't feel like i have all the information that i want to have a, a real in-depth conversation which i'm here so i'm going to but <laughs> no you know, but you know we well, have the numbers the same numbers we were looking at back in april or may where we were pretty not adamant but our conclusions were fairly assertive, you know, we were like, well, the U.S. is not doing too badly. Look at the same numbers. It was like, what, 300 deaths per million? And now it's 550. And yeah, the number I, for the other countries hasn't moved that much. Well, I'm looking at updated uh, numbers from Johns Hopkins University, which I kind of feel like I should probably trust. Uh, mm -hmm. Coronavirus Resource Center updated today. Um, and it doesn't have death per millions. It has death per 100,000, okay. um, which, of course, you could Yeah, it's 10 figure. times more, yeah. Um, and the death per 100,000 is 50, we'll say 55, we'll round up. Yeah, that's what it is on uh, Google. It's, it's 50, uh, 551 per million. So it's the exact same number. Right. So, but in that, you know, you're talking about how, and we have declined, but we're ahead of, some big you know, we're ahead of belgium the united kingdom spain italy and we're barely behind uh france you know france is that's at 45 true. that's true and, but back in may you were at 3500 you were at, and, essentially at uh, i'm sorry not 3500 350 or so 300 or so so you you doubled when france gained what not even 10%. I think we were at 400 and something, 430. That's the, the, the trend I'm looking at. At a time where we should have gotten a handle on the, the pandemic, the number of deaths per million doubled in the US when it stayed relatively similar in other countries. You know, that's what you have to look at when you judge the response of different similar countries. No? Well, yeah. But we're so even even if you I mean, deaths per million seems to me because I've, I've thought about this a mm. little bit 
it seems like a, a good solid this you can't go wrong with this number but we're still unique in the way that our country is is located it's the way it's set up and i don't mean government i mean geography and the reason for this cuz i think now i'm espousing theories here that mm-hmm. are based upon nothing but a a college degree in public relations so take it with a grain of salt that it is um but i think that my area my area is just now getting a first wave now it's still minimal compared to anything that like the big cities saw but we're just now getting it for the first time Hmm. in real in in my opinion because we're we're getting a a boom if you look at population and percentages we're getting a boom it's hitting us now Mm -hmm. it's still in the tens or dozens you know it's still low because i live in a very rural area you can maybe now that you've moved into the wilderness you understand a little bit more about (laughs) where i live um but my my theory is like when when we were talking a, a month ago about uh florida and georgia they hadn't gotten hit I mean, they they got hit a little, but I still think that they those were the first waves hitting those. So it's it's finally moving through our country. And that's why I think Mm. we've got a little different scenario. We've got some delays, but our our case fatality percentage is is pretty good. I mean, we've got a a three point one percent case fatality percentage. So that's a fatality. I guess that's a percentage of fatalities per case. Versus some pretty significant numbers when you put us up against other developed nations, I guess mm-hmm. is a good way to say that. Um, I think three, so, 3%, I don't think it's that great, but it's, it's in the, the average, I think, of well, most France countries. Well, France is 10. No. 10%? That's no. 10.7%. And I, okay. I, this is internet. I am okay. definitely a skeptic. <laughs> I'll, I'll on check the those numbers, but it seems high. You're to welcome me. <laughs> to. Um, but that that's and and so as far as I I feel like that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a slow burn across the nation, whereas other smaller nations with more condensed populations got more of it all at once. Now I'm concerned about those nations that are getting second waves now. Uh uh, and and what that means for us, but I guess my question and sorry, I'm, I'm I think you might to, be right about that that ten. I can't believe it, but yeah, I'm I looking know I'm at right, Patrick. Yeah. Come on now, I'm, I'm <laughs> teasing. <laughs> um, but th- I have a serious question because I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. What is the end goal? Is the end goal to to have Herd immunity, we'll, we'll air quote that, herd immunity so that it just kind of, it fizzles um, on its own. And, no, it and isn't. What is the, 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 end goal, the end goal is to have as few deaths as possible until we get the virus, the, the, the vaccine in like six months to a year. That's okay. the end goal. So if, if that's the end goal which I think this is, this is a debatable conversation because I'm okay. not sure that that's a realistic goal. If that's the end goal, what are the measures that you're willing to take to get to that point? Because as few deaths as possible, 
could mean total seclusion for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know that's, that's, that's too far one way, but it could mean quarantine for all, but non-essential personnel. And, and when I say non-essential, I mean, or all but essential personnel. When I say essential, I don't mean what we called essential personnel because I was considered essential uh, personnel. I'm a banker, which mm-hmm. I get that, you know, pe- money is important, but I am a banker that wasn't essential. I'll tell you right now <laughs> what I do. <laughs> no, I see what, what you I mean. I do but at my bank wasn't essential. The extreme so, could be like everyone stays home except for the people who are absolutely needed to keep the lights running, like healthcare and like the, the I always think of the, uh, the, the people who take care of the garbage because that's an important infrastructure thing that people sure. don't think about. But that, that yeah, that, that could be uh, an extreme. And you're right. Maybe it's not advisable to do that for many, many months. Uh, See, and I don't think it is. I don't yeah. think that should be the goal because, the, I mean, the economy is already in rough shape. Yeah, and no, I agree. I agree. I don't want to kill it to the point where it can't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's where I think the debate can be. I, what are the measures? I, I, I can get on board with we have too many deaths. We have it, it's spreading too fast. I, I can get on board with that. Now, to me, the debate is where where do we draw the line at the measures? Where where can we go to reduce the to minimize the impact? but still not cripple ourselves in other ways. And, and I, that's probably above my pay grade. Mm. You know, I really hate it because I think you're kind of talking me down a little bit. A little bit. Um, I still think it is inexcusable that, it, that the number of deaths per million doubled because I'm certain there would have been a way to contain it more than what happened in the US, especially because it has been contained in every other country. However, um, I see where you're coming from. Don't and do I it, think Patrick. It... Stick to your guns. You be strong. <laughs> Don't let me talk you out of your beliefs. No, you, you haven't completely, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I think there is some merit to the idea of identifying clearly what the goal is and the path to get there. Um, now I'm going to turn to Matthias, who has a deep hatred for anything that is non, uh, you know, social left-wing craziness. And I wonder what you have to say about all of this, Matthias. Well, first of all, um, and that's not limited to the US, but in general, it kind of baffles me uh, that there are so many people seemingly having a problem with the measures, precautionary measures we're taking, because at least half of them are just basic human hygiene. I mean, wash your hands, don't sneeze at people, keep some distance. That's not something extraordinary or that's something you should do whenever you, even if there isn't a pandemic. I mean, like even, even if you just have a flu. But I don't yeah, think many people are, are angry about that aspect of things. I, I, I know, think... no, but, but that's one of the most effective measurements apart from the mask. I mean, if you wash your hands regularly, you can't spread uh, any germs. So that's one of the measures that uh, apparently people also seem to have a problem. Because as I said, I think I mentioned that last time there was an interview with a a person who said, I don't want Angela Merkel to tell me when I have to wash my hands. (laughs) But I I think, you know, Matthias, I I completely understand where you're coming from. But if you focus on the crazies, you're never going to have a day's rest. Because you will find crazies about 
everything. Everything. Yeah, I know. But but that was just that's the first okay. part. I wasn't. I was going. Um, the, the the second one is of course the masks, and uh, I mean, the, basically, it comes down to that people seem to be more selfish than they should be in a situation like that. Because uh, I mean, if you care about the person next to you, putting on a piece of cloth in front of your mouth for the ten minutes you go shopping shouldn't be that big of an issue really. But that's, uh, that's, that's just, just personal opinion. And that's something that's not limited, of course, to the US, because as you said, there are those crazy guys all over. I mean, we have them in Germany, we have them in France, we have them everywhere. So that's, that's nothing specific to the US. Although, uh, since you mentioned, uh, you were kind of uh, saying that, that Trump wasn't as bad as you thought he would be uh, somewhere along the discussion. Yeah, in the first three years, yeah. Yeah, I think that's debatable, though. Um, but uh, I guess uh, I, I not. That's not the topic to of have... today's episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's. Uh, I mean, he didn't cause World War Three, but that's the only bar, I guess. He mm. well. Anyway, no, but um, I think I had the same um, experience like you did when I remember when the election came around in 2016. I was rewatching uh, the West Wing, if you know the series and um I, I just thought to myself well take any of those arguably fictional and i know it's hollywood and all of that but take any of those scenarios they played out or the crises they played out in the series and imagine having trump as a president could that work and apparently the answer is not really i mean you don't have to go to to hollywood or there have been crises real crises in the past in the world and the US has usually handled them quite well i'm not saying the US is you know uh it is beyond reproach in the way they handle crises far from it but things like this um even, i don't want to go to wars and stuff like that in iraq and and vietnam but i don't know i don't know it, that that would open a whole other conversation. Yeah, it was um, just something uh, that came to mind that I had yeah. kind of the same train of thought when uh, he was elected like you did. So. so the current situation and the way things happened over the, the, the summer, um, how are people in Germany looking at the situation in the US? Well, I guess that's... Uh, well, first of all, uh, even here, uh, Corona is over, you know? Enough, it never happened. And what well, wasn't the pandemic? At least that's the feeling you get when you walk outside right now. So uh, Corona is always in the news, but it's not in the front of the mind of, the, of a lot of people right now. And um, for the US, while it was a big topic in the, uh, the beginning, how the US was handling it and the many cases and especially in New York and uh, major No, I'm areas. talking about the summer, the increase of cases in summer. Yeah, uh, and I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, um, it was all over the news in the beginning. And then uh, there came uh, Brazil came around. Everyone was looking at Brazil, and uh, everyone for, kind of forgot about the U.S. And now, uh, not a lot of people are actually talking about the Corona in the U.S. because now the presidential race is taking over. So, mm -hmm. in essence, no one knows what's happening in the tour, in the U.S. right now concerning Corona, really. 
I mean, there might be every once in a while a report or an article, and it's kind of baffling. I, I think I saw that the um, in the RNC in one of the RNC addresses. I didn't watch any of them, but I saw a snippet uh, online where. I don't know who the politician was, but he was talking about Corona in the past uh, tense. Like it was a horrible disease. It was a horrible pandemic. It was very a hardship, like it was over. That's funny. That we definitely aren't talking about it in the past. Ne neither in France, which is yeah, we, getting hit. We aren't either. But apparently this politician uh, tried to frame it like it is, it's okay. all over. And that's the only thing I heard from the U.S. regarding Corona in like the past two weeks. Oh, you were saying in the U.S. they were talking about it in the past. It was in the okay. RNC uh, address. One politician, mm, one Republican. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know who it was or what his name was, uh, but that was uh, he, the way he framed it. Always talking in the past tense about Corona. It's all over. That is, yeah, okay. All right. Um, enough about uh, Corona. We, I guess, talked about just to round it up in Finland, things have been pretty strict. Um, I was in France for just a few days. And when I came back from France, I had to justify my coming to Finland. And I am also quarantined for 14 days in an apartment in Helsinki that I rented, of course, um, before I can go back home because I don't want to be quarantined with my kid uh, who wouldn't go to daycare. That would be more problematic than me just saying here, which means I'm not seeing him for three weeks. And I'm really sad and he misses me and he has a little calendar with the date where I go back and he's looking at it. Yesterday I was talking to him on the phone and he was like, look, look, look on the calendar here, you come home. And I'm like, oh my God. <clears throat> anyway, so yes, we're being pretty strict. Uh, Sorry? Sorry? Is that mandatory for everyone coming into the country in Finland? It is highly recommended, yes. Um, you don't have to stay away from home, of course, uh, but you have to stay home and in under pretty strict quarantine um, for 14 days. They ask you not to go out if you can help it. Maybe go out if you need to buy stuff, but even if you can have someone bring you stuff, it's, it's recommended. And... Uh, The thing is, in Finland, we have very few cases still. It's in the dozens per day, maybe less than that. I haven't checked the numbers in the past couple of days, but it's not over, you know, it's under 100 definitely um, per day. So Finland has been um, pretty handling it really well. And obviously, the... Um, The, yeah, there we go. Currently, in the past few days, it was 30, 27, 20, 10, 6 uh, new cases. And most of them were from people um, who went on vacation outside of the country and coming back, they came back with it. Um, so even though there was a good starting point for Finland in the beginning of the pandemic, because as I mentioned, everyone woke up in March And depending on where you were in the spread of the pandemic, it was easier or more difficult to get a hold on it. But even with that, Finland was fairly low in the spread when we all woke up. Um, the country has been handling it fairly well. And uh, the prime minister, who's that young woman, um, whose name I can never remember, uh, has been kind of praised by most people on 
all sides of the political spectrum saying, yeah, they, they did a good job. Um, and it, and they're continuing to do a good job. And the, we're hoping that the second wave or the full wave is not going to affect us because of the strictness of those measures. It could easily get out of hand. Obviously, it all starts from one case, right? But um, the way things have been handled are pretty good. And um, so we hope that there won't be another lockdown of any kind in Finland if things uh, continue like this. Because that's interesting. That's something I feel like we're dropping the ball right now over here uh, when it comes to uh, people coming back from holiday vacation. And uh, uh, mainly it's because I think the a lot of the politicians seem to have dropped the ball because they were uh, just sitting around doing nothing instead of preparing. And because uh, it was obvious that everyone was going on summer vacation and a lot of people would go... Uh, To, on holiday, even though that's probably not the smartest thing, but uh, as we already established, people aren't as smart as they should be, probably. <laughs> but, I mean, um, yeah, go ahead. But, I mean, instead of thinking of a way to handle people coming back, like kind of like you described it like if you come back you have to quarantine yourself for a period or maybe you could say um, you have to quarantine yourself then you have to get tested and once the test comes back negative you can leave quarantine for example um, they could have done all of that and they could have put that even in legal measures even though they are kind of restrictive but uh, they didn't do that early enough and when they started to talk about measures it was already too late in the sense that people were already on holiday mm -hmm. and legally you can't force them to get into quarantine or anything um, after they come back uh, if they didn't know beforehand that they would have to do it voluntarily right. so to speak Like not if they're to, if they're infected, you can say, yeah, well, now you're infected. Now you have to stay home. But if they are not infected, you can't put them into quarantine for legal reasons. If they didn't know beforehand that they might have to do that after they come back. Right. Yeah. So, to, to be uh, clear, initially in Finland, the idea was to make it mandatory and doc doctor ordered for everyone who was landing in the country. Um, but they abandoned that idea because it was too... I don't know that they abandoned it. It's not in place yet because it was legally too complex. So they're just asking nicely that people do that. And it seems most people are respecting it. But and They're trying the same here and they're offering a lot of tests. Like they're mm -hmm. even... Uh, because a lot of people are driving, driving by car. So they set up posts at the Autobahn where you can get a test if you enter the country and stuff like that. They're trying those measures. But... Uh, in a sense, you have to rely on people being smart enough. And more often than not, that just doesn't work. Mm. I mean, there was a case in uh, Bayern uh, just, uh, I think, last week, or was it uh, the week before, where a guy came back on Wednesday from holiday somewhere. Then he got tested on uh, Thursday, um, but he didn't wait for his test results, but went to a party on Friday. And while on the party... Uh, at the party, he got a phone call. Well, you're tested positive. And now 100 people you are at the party with, I have to go into quarantine and get tested because you couldn't wait until the test results come back. So we have a lot of those cases. And uh, with school slowly starting over here, it's the same thing. Basically, they were the politicians were kind of surprised that school was starting again. It's not like <laughs> they knew that years in advance even uh, that school was starting on this day but um, now even two weeks after the first school started as we, we we don't have the same starting date all over the country but it's different in every state but uh, the first schools have already started and two weeks after they started the first schools had to close down because of quarantine they had to quarantine school children because they were infected 
So they reopened the schools and have to close them down because yeah. they didn't have a good concept or a good measurements in place how they could handle this. The the situation is, I think, somewhat similar in France. Um, we are restarting school, and the fear is that it will lead to a, a increase in uh, the spread of the virus. My assessment, I don't know if it's the case, is that the government doesn't want to... Uh, they're going to try to avoid a lockdown as much as possible. But even beyond that, you can't... Um, what I'm fond of saying is that it's the, the, the big freakout is a gun that only has one bullet. And you can't tell people, now the world is ending and you have to be really careful. You can't tell them that every other week. So my, uh, my assessment, and I don't know how accurate it is, is that the government is waiting to see what happens with um, the back-to-school situation and towards i don't know the middle of or the end of september if things really get out of hand they will tell people okay party's over stop fucking around now we have to be serious that's my guess i don't know if that's the case i don't know if they're clueless i don't know if but certainly the increase in in new cases is dramatic in france and very concerning um however and i uh, uh you know as Per Tony's logic, um, if we look at the number of deaths, it seems to be milder per, you know, as a percentage than it was earlier in uh, the, during the pandemic. And um, maybe older people are better protected, which was a big issue in the spring, which caused the increase of the percentage as well. And the healthcare system is absolutely not overwhelmed. So if that's the concern... It's handled. So I don't know. I don't know, Matthias. I don't know what to think. All I know. All right. And this is the last I'm going to say about this. All I know is that I'm really glad I, I'm in Finland where everything is super strict and the thing is freaking contained. That's what I know. So basically, we should all move to the woods. If you respect that 14 days quarantine, no problem. All right. Um, and yes, by the way, the woods. It is important to note as well that Finland is in a geographical situation that makes it a lot easier to contain the spread. Because yes, in Helsinki, it is, you know, it is densely populated as any other city. But outside of Helsinki, uh, the population density drops off dramatically. So obviously that makes things easier. Um, but even then, all of the cases, like 95% of the cases are in Helsinki. So. Um, Matthias, you were saying you had other topics than just uh, the virus that you might want to mention. Well, if I thought I would look for something uh, that would be something else besides corona because it seems like uh, corona is all we talk about all the time so i desperately <laughs> try to look for some topics and i mean i think it's always hard for me to choose just one single topic to talk about because there's always so much going on and i always feel like um, i'm leaving out important things that might be interesting uh, but then again we always get back to corona so mm. uh, i don't know i mean there have been a lot of discuss discussions here about racism and police brutality sparked by what happened in the US. Really? Um, there were 
a meeting between Angela Merkel and the climate activists Greta Thunberg and uh, Louise Neubauer, and they were discussing the ongoing threat of climate change. And uh, well, there's also, if you want to go back to Corona, there is also a lot of demonstrations and a lot of right-wing extremists and literal Nazis undercutting and trying to use the concerns of people. And there is conspiracy nuts calling to overthrow the government. Uh, but a, a news report just this morning said that they are uh, not allowing a large demonstration on Saturday in, in Berlin. So I guess the revolution will have to wait. Um And I was also tempted to talk about a court decision about free speech since you and I talked about it last year. But uh, I think if anything, uh, maybe you're interested that we uh, have an election as well next year. And uh, sure. now people are starting to talk about the election. So maybe that's something we you might be interested in. Sure. Go ahead. Tell us everything. Everything? Okay. How much time? <laughs> okay. Tell us everything in two minutes or less. Oh, that's that's uh, a challenge. Well, um, for one, um, I already mentioned that uh, um, some time ago, but um, Germany has the largest parliament, except for the Chinese People's uh, Parliament, whatever it's called, the assembly with the 2,500 people. But Germany has the largest uh, parliament all over the world with over 700 seats. And uh, with an election coming up, there is the possibility that that might even go up to over 800 seats because of our electoral law. And um, for the past seven years, I think people have tried to come up with a solution. And even our constitutional court said, well, you need to change and fix this because uh, that's just too much. You need to change the electoral law. And um, well, for seven years, politicians have dragged it out and uh, always postponed. And now, right before the next election, a year before the next election, they have come up with a temporary mathematical solution. And uh, they plan to create a committee that will surely find a permanent solution for the election in 2025. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in a few years, we might have a smaller parliament again. And uh, also, we have the first candidate For, uh, to become the next chancellor. The first, the Social Democrats nominee, uh, had the nominee or announced the nominee uh, to become the next chancellor, which is highly unlikely that he might be the next one because the Social Democrats are not really the party they were before. The only way in polls for them is downwards. So, But our current uh, finance minister, Olaf Scholz, is now officially the social democratic candidate for uh, chancellor in 2021. Or as The Guardian wrote in their breaking news headline, SPD picks Merkel-like figure to run for the top job in 2021. Because <laughs> Merkel is on, on her way out, right? Muti is not the favorite anymore. People don't like her, correct? Oh, quite on the contrary. Oh, she's really? very she's popular. Now, uh, uh, she's very popular, and especially uh, the pandemic has given her. I mean, she was considered kind of a lame duck because she announced like a year or a year and a half ago that she would not re uh, seek re-election. And so she was kind of considered on her way out like a lame duck. But uh, the corona uh, pandemic has given her a new boost uh, and oh. has given her new popularity. So, so how likely do you think it is that she will uh, decide to run again? 
Very unlikely. I think oh, she has no. made her, her decision. And uh, to be honest, uh, with the candidates lining up to succeed her, I would love to have her for another term. <laughs> But, and, and I'm saying that even though I've never voted for a party, so keep that in mind. But still, uh, with the people lining up to be her successor, uh, I don't see anyone who can really fill her shoes so to speak okay. and even though i mean it's it's one thing if you talk domestically for like new policies that you might have a more conservative candidate or anything but it's also kind of a, a interesting topic for europe and um, basically foreign policy all over the place because if she's leaving i mean she is a pillar of european diplomacy i mean she has been in, in in office for 15 years so regardless of how you think about her policies she has been the longest serving uh, head of government in europe and has influence all over the place mm. and uh, if she uh, leaves Europe has to be prepared, to, um, has to prepare itself to lose this constant pillar mm. and it needs to be prepared to fill the void regardless of what you think of her. Because, but right. she will be gone and her successor, one, I don't think any of them can uh, fill her shoes quite as she uh, left them. And uh, on the other hand, I mean, it's, it's a bit unfair to expect someone who is fresh in office to do the same thing as someone who has been in office for 15 years. Uh, you have to give them time, but even then, Even after a transition period, I don't think any of them, of the potential candidates, is uh, mm -hmm. the same foreign affair giant, so to speak, as right. she was. All right. Well, uh, sadly, I guess we're going to have to say goodbye to her. Um, Tony, you've been uh, very uh, uh, silent and, uh, in French, we say sage. You've been... Reserved, I don't know, kind, nice. Uh, is there anything other than the pandemic that has been... Like, if I asked you, what's the second most important topic in the US? And let's not say the elections, like non-political topic um, that has been making the headlines in the US. Do you have a pick or is it just COVID and, and elections all the time? Uh, no, there, there's... Other things going on. Um, there was unfortunately another another shooting uh, yesterday oh. or the day before. I can't recall, um, uh, which has been probably the biggest uh, headline. But if I was going to pick something uh, uplifting to talk about, I could say a quick word. It is uh, COVID related, but it's a it's a success story. All right. um, the NBA, which uh, I am a a very big uh professional basketball fan yeah that's uh, essentially they, all your twitter is nba stuff yeah yeah um uh, they have done a phenomenal job they have they restarted they created a bubble in the uh disney uh, sports complex in florida and the with the measures that they have in place Um, they have had zero cases. They are they are testing uh, regularly. They are using social distancing and mask protocols. Um, they have resumed and they've been going for over a month now, if not more. At least a couple months they've been there on, on location. And then uh, some of that was uh, restarting training camp because the season cut off 
kind of three quarters of the way through and they were getting ready to do the playoffs and pe- people like me thought there's no way they're going to have playoffs this year. They're not going to have playoffs and they're going to have a championship. Well, they did it and they're, they're still in the process. My Miami heat swept the Indiana Pacers 4-0, So they're making it to the second round little plug there for the heat. Um, <laughs> But they've done a really good job. And when you compare that to things like the baseball, uh, Major League Baseball, who the second day they had games had like 18 guys on one team test positive. Uh, and the the Big Ten Conference, which is the Ohio State uh, College Sports Conference, they have canceled football this year, which is a huge deal. Uh, mm. Football, college football is probably uh after the nfl the main sport in in the united states um they the big 10 at least one of the conferences and i think a couple of others have canceled the seasons this year so the nba is a bright spot they they have done it right and they've done a really good job excellent i guess it's also easier to control a smaller field like a basketball field but i don't know if that plays into well it. there's no fans so right, of um, course, yeah. it, it's just, and each team has a 15 man roster. And then of course they do have trainers, coaches, uh, things like that. So I would say, I, I'm just going to toss a number, kind of educated guess. I would say each team probably has between 30 and 50, uh, people associated with it mm. on site. Um, maybe less than that, but, um, between, like I said, coaches, trainers, uh, staff, things like that, maybe maybe around 30 people. Um, and there are there were, I think, six, no, I don't think there were 16, maybe 24 teams uh, involved. So, um, and then you've got, of course, the NBA staff, the refs, things like that. So it, it's not a small endeavor, but it's certainly not as big as a, a hundred person roster on a college football team. Right. But um, I still think it's a success story and it should be applauded. Excellent. Well, a little bit of uh, positivity in the show. Thank you very much for that, Tony. For the end, if you want some uplifting news, you know what? I'll just uh, talk about my thing very quickly And then we'll keep your uh, the second uplifting news of the of the show. Um, I can't not mention the issue with uh, Navalny, uh, the opponent to Putin in Russia, who has been apparently poisoned. And uh, in Finland, it's interesting because I checked uh, Helsinki Sanomat, the main newspaper in Finland, uh, just now, and I'm not seeing any headlines on the topic on the front page. So I don't know if it's because. The, the the approach of Finland with uh, with the uh, uh, Russia is very pragmatic. You have the Russian bear just I've mentioned it a few times in the show. You have the Russian bear literally at your doorstep, so you have to be firm but realistic. And I don't know if uh, the 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 fact that there isn't uh, something about Navalny in the headlines uh, in the, on the main page is a symptom of that. I have no idea. But certainly, if you look for his name, if you search for his name on the on the paper, you know, on the website, there are a lot of articles that come up, and I'm pretty sure that everyone in Finland is looking at this. The main topic is always the coronavirus, even though we have almost no cases. Everyone freaks out about that, and the newspapers talk about it all the time. However, um, 
the Navalny thing, I'm fairly sure, is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, and has been since, you know, he fell ill and was evacuated to Germany and German doctors have confirmed that he was poisoned uh, because it signals a deeper delve of uh, Putin into, uh, um, you know, the, the totalitarian regime that he's been heading towards in the past five to ten years. And uh, we don't know exactly what was involved and who did it and all of that, and we'll probably never know. But it is... We could have a whole conversation about this. It's certainly a concern, or at least I feel that it is a concern for the region. And I'm guessing, I haven't spoken to many people here because I'm quarantined, but I'm guessing it is a concern for most people, or at least it's in, you know, somewhere rattling in their, in their brain. So I wanted to mention it. And I have a question about that, Patrick. Go ahead, um, Tony. Just because I don't know. I did hear about that, and I did see it. And, of course, I, as soon as you see that the opponent was poisoned, you're, you're thinking Putin. But I don't know this. Was he a threat to win? Do you know? No, he's not. Because he is uh, essentially... Putin has a stranglehold on the country. And it is true... Most people don't understand this or want to see it, but it is true that he has massive support by the population. Like, he's not uh, completely fake. He's not faking his support. There's a lot of it. We don't know how much of it, and certainly he's implementing a lot of laws and systems that mean uh, he's suppressing speech and, and behaving in a very dictatorial dictatorial. Uh, uh, manner, but he does have a lot of support. My completely layman explanation for this is that um, he's looking at what's happening in uh, uh, Belarusia and thinking if this spreads, uh, I'm guessing people know, but you know, there's a lot of upheaval in Belarusia against uh, Lukashenko. Is it Lukashenko? Yeah. Um, and there might be a chance, I guess, that it spreads to Russia. And if that happens, it could be spurred on by uh, Navalny. And I'm guessing they wanted him out of the game for at least a little bit. I, I guess they didn't want to kill him, but it was maybe a threat. That's the only explanation I can see. But I am 100% not an expert on uh, Russian politics. So that's just my, you know, the way I look at it from here. Um, uh, but I don't... But I, 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 he is certainly, to answer your question more directly, Tony, he's certainly the one opponent to Putin that has credibility and uh, potential power in the country. He, it's, it's apparently, from what I understand, him and only him, and he, is, he has power and he has a voice. Now, um, he has power and a voice probably in St. Petersburg and Russia and, and, and uh, Moscow. But I, I think, from what I understand of the country, those are very minor uh, when it comes to voting in the whole country. You know, Russia is really big, even if it's not as big as you when you look at it on a map. Um, it, it's really big, and it's, it's a lot of different people. 
may be comparable to the US. And, and there are a lot of people who like Putin because he doesn't drink, he's strong, and he tries to fight corruption as much as possible. Um, now, he is also edging his way towards, inching his way towards dictatorship, which is not great, and suppressing opposition and all of that. Uh, but there's also, again, from my understanding, no real alternative to Putin that we can see. Uh, and the fear would be that the country w would devolve into chaos and corruption if he wasn't there. So it's not a simple situation. I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah. Interestingly enough, you mentioned that uh, he was brought to Berlin into the Charité for treatment after uh, Russia first refused to transport him or said they, there is no way he can be transported safely. But in the end, they transported him over there. And even after all news agencies uh, reported about the statement of the doctors that he was poisoned, Sputnik, the um, Russian state-controlled news agency, Uh, reported German doctors conclude he was not poisoned, like literally the opposite. And uh, then the Kremlin, the spokesperson of the Kremlin was asked, yeah, well, uh, here, uh, the German doctors are saying that he was poisoned. What do you say about that? Well, show us your proof then. What do you have on proof? And uh, we won't say anything until we see that. And he might have been not been poisoned after all. So they don't really care about any criticism, it seems. They just deny, flat out deny it. It's easier that way, isn't it? Um, all right. You promised us something uplifting, Matthias. Yeah, just a short thing. But uh, the other day I uh, read a report that uh, polio is now officially declared eradicated in Africa. So uh, the wild polio virus is no longer present in uh, any concentration that is harmful to humans. So we have a success there, I guess. Yay for medicine. Yay for medicine. Um, how can we tie that back to Bill Gates and his, uh, his attempts to spread coronavirus through 5G antennas and inoculate our children with microchips? But do you see a way to do that? There are so many crazy conspiracy theories I've read over the past few days. I think there are so many ways to tie that together, but I can't come up with any of them because there are so many. Yeah, that is one of the... You know, I had a a thought about, you know, we, we blame politicians for a lot. And I think there is certainly responsibility for things that happen in the world that are decisions taken by politicians or consequences of those. But when I look at the conspiracy theories about Bill Gates, he is literally the guy, or at least the most visible person, who warned us about the possibility of such a pandemic, warned us about the gravity of that pandemic when we didn't realize how bad it was, has been working night and day at, you know, trying to help with uh, issues and illnesses comparable to this. And he is the person that conspiracy theories are placing as the person who is causing them. Like, I think there's nothing more 1984 than this. The literal guy who's trying to warn us and help us is being portrayed as the person responsible for 
it. I don't, you know, it makes my brain explode a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's... Well, we're not really ending on an uplifting note now. <laughs> I guess we're not. Um, I, I, I default back to the thing I was talking about, I was saying earlier. Um, if you look for the crazies, you'll find them. So it's important to not enable them and to, um, to, to do the other thing, which is to say, uh, in the case of Bill Gates, to say what? I don't know. He, he tried to warn us, I guess, and he's trying to do good with his ill-acquired gains, or not ill-acquired, uh, ruthlessly acquired gains at Microsoft. He's trying to do good stuff. Tony, what do you think of Bill Gates? Please don't tell me you think he's an evil person. No, I I have a lot of respect for him. I've I've been until they basically discontinued the Windows Phone. I was a Windows guy through and through. Still am as far as computers. <laughs> I had a Windows Phone. Uh, I did not want an iPhone. I didn't want anything to do with it. I still think the Metro uh, Windows operating system is the greatest uh, phone operating system that I've ever seen. Um, having said that. I have some bad news. Um, oh, no. There, there are people that I think on any other day would be fairly uh, dependable, non-crazies, that believe some of this Bill Gates stuff. And it, oh, it no. bothers me. And I talk to them about it. And I say, that's, that's, that's not right. But uh, the, that is the – I've told you guys that a lot of the, the crazy conspiracy theory stuff I don't really experience a lot of, but that is one that has caught on and it just drives me nuts. But that is a thing that people actually believe and it's disturbing to me. It's on, I don't, you know, the, I don't understand. I, obviously there's no logic to it, but I don't even understand how it can take hold. Like maybe it's just too hard to believe that there's a faceless pandemic that's spreading throughout the world and and destroying things we love and our way of life at least temporarily, if not more permanently. And maybe that's what your mind holds on to to make any kind of sense of it, even if it doesn't make sense. But it's I don't know. I'm sure there would be a huge, hugely interesting episode to to make to have about conspiracy theories. Maybe we'll do that at some point. I'll note that somewhere, actually. How psychologically, how does it work? But uh, Ebola eradicated. No, polio. Uh, polio, sorry. Po uh, Ebola, not quite. But uh, polio eradicated. Yay. That's not a small achievement, actually. So uh, we'll end on that. Thank you very much for uh, trying to <laughs> uplift us, Matthias. All right, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit over an hour with me and uh, indulging me in my rants and uh, angry monologues. Uh, before we go, of course, would you mind telling us where we can find more of you? Matthias, are you still handing on, holding on to Mastodon? Yes, I'm still holding on to that. You can find me either on Mastodon at on the handle Matzekult, M-A-T-Z-E-K-U-L-T, on the instance chaos.social, or if you fancy to look at Twitter only, you can find me there under the same handle. Perfect. Thank you very much, uh, Matthias. Tony, what about you? More NBA stuff. 
Yeah, you'll be able to find a, a decent amount of NBA stuff. It's not all NBA, as Patrick <laughs> said. I do a little bit of uh, nerd stuff, a little bit of politics, and then I'll post some cute pictures from time to time of red pandas. But um, at Tony Staley on Twitter is where you can find me, and uh, that's where you'll find the things that I'm interested in. Perfect. Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find links to everything I do at notpatrick.com. Uh, that's a very easy uh, handle to no, uh, URL to remember. Um, if you are a patron at the $3 level or more, you already have access to uh, the Discord, which is our new meeting place and discussion place, which uh, is a lot more uh, handy, I think, than the Slack we had before. If you, hadn't, uh, if you haven't uh, uh, checked it out yet, please add your Discord uh, name to or Discord account to your Patreon account and you'll be invited to the server automatically. Um, and the Discord server has a public uh, portion that is going to be open next week at some point um early september it's going to be open and everyone will be welcome uh, obviously uh, the patrons who don't subscribe to that level will have access to it but also and they will have a special role and color but uh, everyone who's listening will be welcome in that public place it's mostly in french but we do have a portion to discuss the latest episode of the phileas club specifically so if you're on discord and uh you want to check that out the link will be published probably on notpatrick.com uh when it's made public but it, it is coming i'll talk about it again in another episode of course so please look forward to that and if you're not a patron yet please consider subscribing if you're enjoying what we're doing, if you think there is some value to all of this. Uh, the, the link is in the show notes. It's uh, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Thank you so much. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Talk to you then. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.